said that, um, you know, here at Neighborhood Church, we're like a, a big extended family that loves everyone. And uh, I love coming into church and, uh, and being around all of you guys and uh, being reminded that my family that I celebrated Thanksgiving with isn't just limited to them. It also includes all of you guys. Um, the Bible says that we are... Uh, uh, that we are like brothers and sisters in, in our faith, and that's what brings us together. And so I look at all you guys, and I'm like, these are all of my brothers and sisters in the faith. And so uh, I don't know about you, but I'm energized today. I'm excited about what God's going to do, and, and it's good to be in the house of the Lord. And, and uh, so I want to start today by, um, I want to talk to, uh, if it's okay, ladies, can I talk to the guys for a moment? All right, this is the, I, I got to be careful here with what I'm going to say, but um, but anyways, uh, I wanted to talk to you guys to the guys, and I, I I have this this thought that sometimes comes into my mind. Uh, my wife sometimes does things that I just don't understand. Is there is there any of you guys that would say like your wife, your your daughter, your girlfriend, you know, uh, your mom, any of those that where you'd say like you know they do things that I just do not understand. Am I alone in that, or or is there other people that are like that are like me? Fred feels that way every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we all have. We all. I feel like we have moments where uh, we don't understand uh, our our spouse or whoever our significant other, and I know it goes both ways. Um, but I'm gonna explain to you a couple of them that uh, that I have. One of which is, uh, you know, um, I love my wife dearly, uh, but this is one of those that I've just never understood. She. Um, she loves flowers. Now, I think, guys, uh, guys, we're pretty practical when it comes to things. We think of things like, you know, uh, is it, uh, it, is it going to accomplish something? Does it serve a purpose for us, right? And <laughs> amen. I get it. There's one amen. Uh, I, I'm doing something right. Anyways, uh, I, I look at it like, you know, we're very practical when it comes to that. And I remember there's so many times where I've, I, not so many times, I, I haven't done it in a while, but uh, there's so many times that I've, I've bought Leanne flowers and I'm standing there getting ready to buy them. And I'm looking at it and I'm just like, I can't understand why she loves this so much. I mean, they, uh, it, when I think of a flower, I'm like, okay, well, it, I can't eat it. Uh, it doesn't entertain me. I can't recline in it. Um, you know, it just, it, and eventually it's going to get put on a shelf and in a vase and it's going to die. And, and that's its ultimate purpose. And so for, for the life of me, I could, I, I'm like, I love getting you gifts, but the flower thing, I just never understood. Uh, I still do it periodically. It's like I said, it's been a while, but, but, uh, but I never understood that one. And uh, one of the other things, though, that I that uh, I found is that during this time of season, in season, uh, Leanne tends to come up to me and say things like, uh, you know, hey, uh, we should go shopping, and uh, we should go to the mall and go get some things. And and I'm like, okay, great. Uh, what are we gonna go for? And she's like, well, I just want to go window shopping. I just want to look at what's out there. And I'm like, let me get this straight. Hold on, hold the phone for a second. We are going to lug our three kids into the car, waste gas driving to the mall to go look at things that we aren't going to buy. That's what we're going to do right now. You don't understand. It's like a full like NASA shuttle launch for us to get our kids together in the car and get going somewhere. Okay. It, okay. It, but for whatever reason, she loves that. And, uh, and so, but one of the things I've learned in my, my years of wisdom is, uh, 
one of the things I've learned is, is that sometimes it does not matter that I don't understand it. Sometimes it doesn't matter that I don't understand why she likes it. Sometimes I just need to do it out of my love for her. Sometimes I just need to do it because it's what makes her happy. It's what she enjoys. And, and there's times where I need to put myself aside and I need to not think about how I view it and think about how she sees it, how she sees life. And, um, and I, was, uh, I was sitting there thinking about this one of the days. And one of the other things that happened right around this time that I never understand is, uh, is Black Friday shopping. Okay, um, I've noticed that Black Friday uh, shopping has kind of, uh, it's become not Black Friday, it's become like Black Thursday. You know, have you ever noticed that? Anybody notice that it's kind of invaded onto Thanksgiving? You know, I remember when it used to be that it was actually on Friday. Now it's like Thursday, Thursday night, and then there's even pre-Black Black Friday shopping. There's all this craziness that goes on with that, and, and uh and I remember a, a time Leanne and I were, uh, the girls, if you don't know, I have twin daughters. And uh, they, were, they were newborns, and we had a, a, a problem of we were running out of formula. Now, at the time, we were up uh, in Seattle, and we were on our way back from visiting her family. And uh, we were, were driving by, and she's like, you know, I don't know if we have enough uh, to make it through the night. I don't know if we have enough to, to get through. Excuse me. To get through the whole night, but I think that um, uh, we we should probably think about stopping. And I'm like, okay, no big deal. We'll just stop at Target. And she's like, no, Nate, you don't understand. They will kill you at Target. They're like, it is crazy. Okay, you you. It is Black Friday shopping. Like there will be lines that will going out the doors. Like it will be crazy. She worked in retail for a lot of years, so she knows. And, uh, and I, I remember I came from a little tiny town where Black Friday is kind of like, it's a big thing, but it's not uh, quite that big of a thing. There's only like a couple thousand people in the town. So uh, I, I'm, I'm looking at her and I'm like, it can't be that bad. I mean, I played football. I, I can handle myself. You know, I'll go in there. I'll push some people aside. And, um, and uh, she's like, you know, as all good wives do, they know how to make their husband be proved wrong. And, uh, and she, she says to me, she goes, uh, okay, all right, well, you don't believe me, so uh, I tell you what we'll do. And she knew that we weren't going to go in there. But she's like, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll swing by Target so you can see it. And so uh, I'm like, all right, fine, we'll, we'll go do it. We drive by Target, and I remember looking out and seeing, like, tents and people just around the corner, like, in the freezing cold. And I'm like, for a deal? Really? And uh, don't get me wrong. I know that there's probably some Black Friday shoppers in here, and I'm not judging you. But but I'm just I was very confused at how how this was this was going on. I was like it, it hit me in a moment. I was like we are a consumer nation. I was like these people just went from from having Thanksgiving with their families, being thankful for what they have, and, and enjoying that with their family, to now they're beating each other up over a TV in in the same day. Like, I was blown away by this, and, I, and I, I started to think about this, and I was just like, it, it honestly it bothered me for a moment. And uh, I started to think about what does, uh, what does my re relationship with God, does it sometimes look like that? Um, because I, I started to think about this idea of us being consumers, and, and are we a servant of God, or are we only consumers of God? And uh, I realized that when I look at this, that, that so many people are so focused on being consumers 
And uh, I think about my own relationship with God, and I ask myself, you know, um, am, I, am I a servant or am I only a consumer? And here's what I mean by that. Uh, so many times uh, it, you hear it in our language, how we talk. Uh, so I, I, I don't know if I know I'm probably not the only one that's walked out of a, a service like this and, and uh, gone home and been like, man, I didn't really get anything out of the worship. Have you ever had that? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever been like, I didn't really get anything from that? Or like the message, like it just didn't, you know, connect with me. I just didn't get anything out of it. It's like, it's this mentality of receiving from God is that I always, I always want to receive from God. And don't get me wrong. Um, I'm not saying that that's wrong because uh, the Bible actually says, make your requests known to God. It says that you do not have have because you do not ask. And so God does want us to ask of him. He does want us to come to him and, and him be the person that we rely on for healing and for everything that we need. But at the same time, I believe that there is a second thing that God is asking of us, and that's to be a servant. Um, and, uh, and I start to ask um, that question of, of you know, kind of do, uh, do I ever find myself, uh, you know, as only a, a consumer of God where I'm not really actually focusing on um, on what he is asking me to do. Um, my, my thought was, uh, do I ever put aside my consumer mindset for a moment to, to then ask the question, God, what are you asking of me? What are you asking of me? What are you wanting from me? What are you wanting me to do? What are you wanting me to, uh, what are you calling me to do right now? And uh, so many times I think that, I know myself, I'm, I'm preaching to myself today, so many times I can, I can, uh, I can have this mindset of, of, God, I want you to heal. I want you to do these miraculous things. But then I forget that sometimes he's asking something of me. He's wanting me to do something. He's wanting me to be sometimes that for somebody else. He's wanting me to help someone in some way. And, uh, and so I find myself asking these questions. And uh, I think an even more haunting question, I guess, for me would be, uh, I, I would like to think that I'm a, a servant of God. You know, I'm a pastor, so that's kind of what I'm supposed to do. Um, but uh, I, I find myself asking, well, well, when I do serve, do I only serve when it's convenient? Do I only serve when it comes without pain or struggle? Do I only serve when it uh, is something that uh, isn't... Uh, isn't out of my way? Do I only serve when it makes sense to me? When what he's asking me to do is like, yeah, it's logical. It's it can fit inside my brain. Do I only serve when it, uh, you know, is one of those where, uh, you know, I benefit from it in some way? And uh, I ask those questions. And honestly, if I were honest with you, I'd say that sometimes it's like, yeah, I I, I don't serve unless it's one of those things. And uh, and so I began to ask myself, do I do I only serve when uh, it's it's you know something I understand? Am I a servant or am I only a consumer? Uh, and here's what I realized: is that God's not asking us to understand; He's asking us to obey. And uh, um, if you look throughout the Bible, through the history of you know, going all the way back to the Old Testament, all throughout the Bible, you look at it. There, God has a history of not only uh, asking his people, misfits, if you will, to do things that uh, you wouldn't expect them to. But he also has a history of asking his followers to do act absolutely ridiculous things. Okay, I'll give you a couple examples. The first one would be, uh, you know, going back all the way to, um, to Abraham and Isaac. 
And here's this guy who is, he is old, and he has his one son, his one son. And he says, hey, I want you to sacrifice that son. And uh, God's intention was never for him to actually follow through on that. He knew that he was going to provide the ram in the, in the thicket, and he was going to give him that. But he wanted his obedience. And then even, even going further, you go into and you look at uh, Noah. And I don't know about you, but do you ever look at the stories in the Bible and be like, this just doesn't make sense? Like, this is weird. Like, uh, Noah's standing here, and he's in a desert. And God says, hey, by the way, I want you to build a, an ark, this huge boat. And uh, you're going to be saved by it. And you're going to get all these animals to come into this boat. And, and my two questions would have been, uh, for one, it's a desert. Why am I building a boat? And, and, two, and two, the second question I'd be asking was, how am I going to get these animals to walk into this boat with me? I mean, like, I don't know about you, but my, my, the way I think about things, it's like animals run from me, okay? Uh, you know, how am I going to convince them to just walk right in here with me? But, you know, uh, but he wanted their obedience. Uh, going even further, um, you look at Moses. Here's a guy who, he was not eloquent of speech. He did not have good, uh, uh, good convincing. He wasn't good at that. And, uh, and God asked him, hey, I, I want you to go back to where you just fled. And I want you to convince one of the most powerful leaders to just let his entire workforce go. And uh, you're going to be the one that is, is just telling him, just, hey, let my people go. I would be, I would be blown away by that, by that um, request of me. I don't know if I would do it, honestly. I'd be kind of confused. Um, and then even further than that, if you look in the New Testament, uh, the disciples. Think about how crazy it was when, when he asked, Jesus asked, hey, will you uh, follow me? It's a simple request, but it's crazy. Follow me. Many of these guys barely knew Jesus. They might have uh, known about him. They might have known, heard some of his teachings, but, but they didn't have a close personal relationship with him yet. And he comes to them and he says, hey, follow me. And essentially what he's saying is, is throw aside everything that you have. Give, it, give away your entire previous life, your family, your, your profession. Leave it behind all your friends and follow me. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I'm standing in my workplace and somebody comes into me and says, hey, come follow me, leave behind everything else, I don't know if I'm going to do it. They're crazy, but, but you know what? He has a history of not only asking crazy things of his followers, but he also has a history of doing the impossible. Today I want to look at a story uh, about uh, Jesus' birth, but I want to, being that we're in that season, but, uh, but also I want to look at it a little bit before, um, and so I want to look at the story of Mary. So if you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. I'll give you a moment. It says, in, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, I would be too. Uh, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for, I have found, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? 
I'm a virgin. Um, I, I read this story and, and uh, I come across this, how can this happen uh, for I'm a virgin? And, and I think that Mary responds to this kind of outrageous request. If you really think about it, it's like, uh, this isn't really possible. That's the way she's thinking of it. And uh, she responds to this request the way most of us do. When God asks us to do something that seems impossible or seems kind of weird or, or out of the ordinary, we tend to respond like this. Well, how can this be? Like, how is this even possible? How is this going to happen? And, uh, and I think that, uh, you know, that is, that is right away where we go to. But notice what happens after that, what, what is said after that. It says that um, uh, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. Remember that six month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. It's interesting that you look at this, uh, you look at this and she questions this, uh, the possibility and, and how could this possibly be because I'm a virgin. And uh, right off the bat, um, the angel um, doesn't just tell her, well, just believe it. Just, just know that it's true. The angel goes back and reminds her of something that she's already aware of. Reminds her of the time when he's already done the impossible. Isn't that how God works with us so many times when we think that God can't do something or, or we don't understand what he's asking us or how could he possibly use me for this? Uh, God is responding and saying, don't you remember the time that I already did the impossible? Don't you remember the time that I already, uh, when, you, when there was that diagnosis that you thought that there was no hope, there was no way, and the doctor stood there, you know, just completely confused at how this is possible that this could happen? Don't you remember the time that, uh, you know, you, you gave what you did not have and somehow you made it out and you're completely fine? Don't you remember all the times I did the impossible? It's interesting because he, he uh, uh, I read this and I, I was reading this the other day and I was going through it, and so many times there's, there's little details that you miss. And the uh, first couple times through it, I, I missed uh, a couple details. And one of them is, is that it, it says that it's in the, the angel came to her in the sixth month. And uh, again, it says uh, later on, it says the sixth month. And you connect those two together, and you realize that there's, there's some significance to that. Um, and I think you, you look at this, and it's saying the angel is reminding her of a couple things. One, uh, I don't know about you, but if you've ever seen a woman who is pregnant in the sixth month, she's in that, like, I'm about to pop stage. She was highly pregnant. Obviously, she was pregnant. And being that, that Elizabeth was Mary's relative, she would obviously be aware that that was true. And so she would obviously be aware that, that this of her whole life, of Elizabeth's whole life, of not being able to be pregnant and now being in that situation and now, and now having being six months pregnant, she's aware that God has already done something that is impossible. God has already done something in my family's life that is already impossible. Then maybe he can do it for me. Maybe he can do it in my life. Maybe he can actually do what he's asking, what he's asking of me. I find it that I find it interesting that uh, you know that God has a, a habit of making uh, of doing the impossible and asking of the impossible of his, of his servants. But look at what Mary responds in verse thirty-eight. She says, "I'm the Lord's servant. Let it happen. I'm the Lord's servant. Let it happen." If you really look at um, 
what this word servant is translated. It's translated to be basically like uh, a bondmaid. And uh, a bondmaid would be somebody who is, um, who is you know, completely surrendered to their, their master's will. They're completely uh, giving them their will over to the other person. They are completely in obedience to them. Uh, they often were treated well and they had the freedom to leave. Um, but they were somebody who willfully chose to be obedient to that person. And if you think about that with Mary, she's saying this of herself. She's saying, uh, I am completely surrendered to you. I'm completely given over whatever you would ask of me, whatever you would require of me, I'm yours. Let it happen. Let it happen. And uh, I think about this, and I, I think that it's amazing that she had such a, a mindset of, you know, whatever, God, whatever you want to do. I, I don't understand it. I don't get it. But I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to give my life over to you. What's crazy about this as well is, is that she would be aware of the possible consequences and what her future would hold, meaning that in, in her time, um, for her to be pregnant outside of, uh, of, of marriage um, would, pot, would most likely mean that she would be dragged out into the city square and she'd be stoned. If she wasn't stoned, then at the very least, she would be publicly shamed for this. Um, in addition to that, uh, you know, she would also be aware that once her uh, fiancé, Joseph, found out that uh, um, she was pregnant, he would obviously know that that was not his and would obviously find out that maybe uh, I don't want to, I'm going to separate from her. That would be the tradition of the day. And uh, so knowing all this, knowing that, and in addition to that, she would know that her only defense against anybody would be, well, the Holy Spirit did it. I don't know about you, but uh, it'd be hard to convince people of the day that the Holy Spirit did this to me, you know? And, uh, and even if they did not stone her, even if they did not shame her, I would think that after that, they'd kind of look at her like, well, she's crazy. In addition to that, uh, even, if, uh, even if her... Even if her husband did not leave her, did not separate from her, she would know that, uh, that everything about their life as it was would, would have to be put on hold. Meaning that, uh, I don't know if you've ever, um, if you've ever uh, seen a, a newlywed couple be told that you're going to put your whole vacation, your, your honeymoon aside, you're going to put your first night aside, you're no Disneyland, no nothing, you're going to put all that aside for nine months. The Bible goes back, if you look in, in the account in Matthew, there's an interesting note that says that uh, Joseph was told this and, and explained what happened in a dream and in a vision. And uh, he, he said, well, I'm going to stay with her. Uh, but it said he did not know her for, until the child was born. I'm going to give you two seconds to figure out what I mean by he did not know her. Okay, um, But try telling a, married, a newly married couple that they can't have any sort of relationship like that for nine months. In addition to that, she knew that this baby, when she was going to give birth to this baby, that um, there was actually going to be pain. This baby wasn't just going to appear. There was going to actually be a birth. And I don't know if you, if you, anybody doesn't know this, but childbirth is painful, very painful. Uh, I remember one, one, uh, one little note of advice. If your wife is ever uh, pregnant and, uh, and going through contractions, do not give her your ring finger hand. She about crushed my fingers together because uh, she was in so much pain. So what's interesting about this is, is that what she's aware of all the struggle, of all the pain, of all the inconvenience, of all the fact that maybe she's probably going to be running by herself pregnant um, 
you know, away from all the people that are trying to get this child. She's aware of the pain and the struggle that she's going to experience, but yet she says, yes, God, whatever you want from me, I'm your servant, whatever you would ask of me. And I, I find that so amazing that she is, is willing to just say, yeah, whatever you would require of me, God, I'm all yours. Um, God's request looked impossible. It came without, with pain and struggle, and it was a sacrifice, but she had a heart of obedience. That's kind of what I want to look at a little bit today, a heart of obedience. Um, I think that where you really find this, um, where you really find how she, how is she able to do that? Because it's great to talk about obeying God and, and totally surrendering your life to him, but how do we as believers truly get there? How do we get to a point where whatever you would ask God, if it seems impossible, if it if I don't understand it, I'll just do it. How do we get there? And I think that uh, she gives a little bit of a, a hint to that in her song. This is part of Mary's song. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 1, 46 through 50. It says, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now, all, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. It's interesting. She starts by praising God. She starts by, uh, this is in the middle of her pregnancy, and she starts by giving him praise. God, you're awesome. Like, I love you. You are great. Look at what you've done. Like, you've looked upon me, and I didn't deserve this. I didn't deserve this blessing. And I'm like, I'm reading this. I don't know about you if you've ever, like, read the Bible like this, and you kind of take a step back, and you're like, hold the phone. Like, you're praising God. You're praising him and worshiping him, and yet you are going through probably one of the most painful, struggling times of your life. You could possibly lose your life for this. You could possibly lose everything for this. And yet you are praising God. You are worshiping him. You are starting out with this, this heart of, of God, I, I love you. And then she goes on and she says, uh, as she continues, she says something that is amazing. She says, uh, how my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Interesting that she says, God, my savior. God, my savior. See, she recognized her own need for God. She recognized her own need for a savior. That um, that she wasn't. She didn't uh, elevate herself above because of the fact that God has chosen her for this. She didn't elevate herself above that to say, you know, I don't need God. I don't need. I don't need a savior. I don't need. Uh, I don't need salvation. No, she recognized it in herself that she needed salvation. That she needed God. That she needed Him for everything. That everything that she has comes from Him. That every Every blessing, every every uh, every person that she has in her life, every everything that she has comes from him. She refers to herself as a lowly servant girl, a lowly servant girl, as if servant girl wasn't enough. She adds the term lowly servant girl. Everything about Mary says that I'm humble, and everything about her says that she's looking at herself with. Humility, and she's looking at herself as like, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve what God is giving me. And uh, I think that, uh, in a sense, what she's saying is, is that she's saying that, uh, you know, I, I, I owe it all to you, God. 
so I'll give it all to you. I owe it all to you, so I'll give it all to you. You know, the, the, term, uh, the term fear him, uh, it says that it goes on, she goes on to say something even more profound, which is um, that, you know, for all those who fear him, uh, that he will, he will have grace and he will have mercy on all those who would fear him from generation to generation. And you think about what the word fear really means. A lot of times we take that as like we need to be afraid of God and running from God. But in a sense, what it's saying is all those who, who come to a, a realization that they in and of themselves, they need God. You know, so many times I think about my own relationship and my walk with God and I realize, I remember when I came to that moment. I remember when I came to that moment where I realized that like I'm nothing without him. Like I need you, God. Like everything I have, every good thing I have, every blessing I have, the, the air that I'm breathing right now, the, the life that you're giving me, everything that I have, I owe it all to you. My salvation, everything that, it's not because of my goodness. It's not because I was good enough. It's not because I deserve what you're giving me. It's not because I performed well enough. It's not because I, I led a life that was perfect. It's because you did. It's because you did. It's because I know that, that, uh, that your death on the cross is what made me right. And my acceptance of that is what makes me right. It's not, it's not out of my own goodness. It's not out of myself that I am made right. And it's when those moments where you, you step back and you look and you realize your need for God, that is the beginning of, I believe, a, a heart that is surrendered. That is the beginning of a heart that says, God, whatever you would ask of me, I'll do it. Whatever you would ask of me, because honestly, the, the, the truth of it is, what I'm really trying to get out, and I'm almost done, is, is that humility and love, humility and love produce obedience without understanding. Humility and love produce obedience without understanding. Honestly, I look at, at what this story is all about, and I, and I take it in, and I, I start thinking about um, this, and I realize that, uh, you know, coming from that heart of saying, God, uh, you know, I owe it all to you, and so I'll give it all to you. It's out of our love for God. It's out of our love for him and what he's done in our life, and it's out of us actually taking a moment to step back and humble ourselves and realize that we need him. That when you take a step back and you realize that everything that you have, every good thing that you have comes from him anyways, then you, you realize that, man, I, I, what won't I do for you? What won't I give to you? What won't I, I, I will obey you just because of the fact that you are God and because of the fact that you died for me, because you are my salvation, because you are my everything. And uh, that's where a life that I believe that is completely surrendered comes from is from somebody who is who is willing to take that step back and say, uh, God, I need you. Um, I need you in every every part of my life. He doesn't ask us to understand. He asks us to obey. I look at how this, I guess, ties in. I look at, um, you know, my wife and, and the, the flowers and all those kinds of stuff. And, you know, I, I realize that um, why is it that I do that, even though I don't understand? I do it because... I love her, and out of my love for her, and out of the of taking a step back of, of my own pride and my own and my own things that get in the way, take a step back and think about her for a second. And out of my love for her, that is what motivates me to do whatever she would want, whatever she would ask, whatever I can do to make her happy. And not saying that that we uh, are people who need to um, you know earn God's love. But at the same time, there's times where he's asking us to do things that may seem impossible. 
He's asking us to do things that we may not understand. But if we, as a, as a people, would stand back and say that, okay, God, I'm only going to obey you when I understand it. I'm only going to obey you when it fits inside my box of my understanding. Then we're limiting what God can truly do through us. We're limiting him to fit within our understanding and our capabilities instead of allowing him to do the impossible through our congregation and through and in our city. We're, we're limiting him by the fact that, man, I, I don't want to do things that, that are out of my comfort zone. I don't want to do things that uh, come without pain and struggle. Well, if we're waiting for that, then we're going to waste our life waiting. We're going to waste our life waiting for God to make sense before we'll obey and just do what he's asking. Um, I believe that this holiday season, what God is, is saying to me and what I believe he's saying to us is, is that um, we need to move past only being consumers of God. Not saying that being a consumer isn't a good thing. We want to have more of God. We want to have uh, more of his blessing. We want to have more of his healing. But God is asking something of us. And sometimes what he's asking you, maybe even during this season, is to do something that seems impossible to you. And what I would say to you today is, is that look back on all the things that he's already done that were impossible. And remind yourself that if, if we're going to be servants of God, then we have to take a second and humble ourselves and remember that we owe it all to him anyways. We owe our lives to him. We owe our salvation to him. And so for that, God, I will give you my all. I, because you have given me everything, I will give you everything. I give all to you.